Welcome to the Generation Hustle Podcast, the show that explores the world of business, entrepreneurship, and culture, all centered around the millennial. Episode 17 is a special one, as we have not one, but two guests on today. We sat down with co-founders Dan Beach and Nitu Rai of Socialite Vodka, the world's best vodka soda in our opinion. The journey in becoming one of Canada's top vodka soda brands was not easy, but now Dan, Nitu, alongside their third co-founder, Kevin, continue to grow, given many of us don't enjoy those overly sugary drinks or beers that bloat us. We explore everything from their motivations to start the business, how a new product goes from an idea to the shelf, and the core techniques they used in order to scale the business. This was a riveting conversation with amazing Canadian entrepreneurs. Be sure to check out your local liquor store for Socialite products. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. We also want to give a special shout out to today's sponsor, Podcorn. So let me ask you this. You're a growing brand looking to partner with other companies to help scale your business? Or you're like us, a podcast looking to brands to partner with? Like many business founders, you find it extremely difficult to find these opportunities. Well, that was their case originally for the Generation Hustle podcast before we started using Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all size can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly with no exclusivities. This opens up the opportunity for you as a business or a podcast to scale much faster. So what are you waiting for? Check out podcorn.com to start growing. Thank you so much, guys, for being a part of this. Um, I know I met Dan a couple of weeks back discussing a different topic, and then I helped him uh, convince him to come on the podcast as well. <laughs> so I thought, uh, you know, might as well uh, look at the brand. You guys are up to amazing, amazing things. A uh, huge fan of the product as well. Um, especially the new gin, um, gin and soda. Am I getting it right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge fan of that. So uh, why don't we just get into this? Um, so uh, a lot of our listeners obviously know about Socialite, but for those who may not obviously being pre-exposed to the brand, um, can you walk us through the inspiration behind one, the name um, and kind of the content construct of your team so maybe dan you can walk us through the actual product line and need to if you can walk us through kind of the inspiration behind the brand and the team itself sure perfect do you need to do you want me to start with the the background story yeah go for it yeah so so i guess that well i know i know the story started back in 2013 so uh need myself and our third business partner we were all working professional jobs kind of working the nine to five, we were watching what we're eating, we're trying to work out. Um, and we, we just got so annoyed that every time we went went drinking, and any, anytime you wanted to grab a can, all the cans had so much sugar in them. I mean, every every can had between six and 10 sugar cubes. So if you think about, I mean, you're, you're drinking a coffee right now, would you, no one would ever put six sugar cubes in their coffee. Like it, it's such a crazy concept. Um, and, and then you never get, you, you never go to Tim Hortons or Starbucks and say like, I want 10 sugar cubes. It's, it's just, it's just so far out there. Um, so we just couldn't understand why, why alcohol companies were doing that with their, their canned cocktails. And part of the reason goes back to the fact that in the alcohol space, you don't have to tell people what's in a product, which, which is so crazy. So we were working these jobs, we were getting so frustrated and we kept asking the question, like, why is there no drink with it without sugar sweetener? Um, so we, we played around with the idea of like, well, we should start doing this ourselves. And so the, the first step we did is we started making drinks in our kitchen and we started making drinks for friends and family and everyone liked the drink so much that they were like, guys, you've got to quit your day job. Like right. <laughs> this, this is pretty, pretty, there's something special here. And so we spent the first year developing the product and we, we spent a lot of time just chatting with people, chatting with people in the industry. And we were always amazed and, um, at how open people were to, to chatting with us and, and giving their, us, us, kind of their feedback and giving us direction and helping us out. Um, and it's interesting because in, in 2013, uh, 2014, we, we pitched all the liquor boards in the country mm-hmm. and all of them were like, this is amazing. Like a pre-mixed drink with no sugar, no sweetener, um, which was the concept, which, which was kind of the concept, but like, this is amazing. It tastes so good. And we're like, can we, can we get a listing? And they're like, no, 
No one's yeah. ever going to drink a drink without sugar. Like, what are you guys thinking? And, and so for us, we're like, no, no, we think you guys are wrong. Like, if you look at every other industry, better for you or, or drinks without, or kind of people are looking for better options. And so we, we actually spent our own money. We produced 6,000 cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting, Canada, is that in Alberta, it's an open market. So we actually produced 6,000 cases, sent it to Alberta, and we would spend every evening, every weekend, basically calling liquor stores and selling one case at a time. Like here's our product. Here's our idea. Please buy a case. And what was interesting is in week one, I think we sold seven cases. So Mm -hmm. we had our our weekly, whatever Tuesday night call, we, we freaked out and it was just like, all right, well, let's, let's see what happens. And then obviously with Nietzsche's marketing capability and, and our, our desire to keep pushing, I think the next week was like 40 cases. And then it was like a hundred cases. And then, and then suddenly we're like, okay, we're, we're definitely onto something. And so that's how, how the drink started back in, in 2014. Um, again, the whole concept for the drink is it's a vodka soda with no sugar, no sweetener, all natural ingredients. Basically what you would want to serve your friends and family in your kitchen. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we've, we've kind of exploded. And, and we've, what's really cool is um, not only are we growing, but we've created a whole new category where you have like Molson, Labatt, Sleeman, all creating products to try and recreate right. what we've exactly. done. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year in Canada, like one in every two coolers is is going to be unsweetened or wasn't, it, it isn't unsweetened and it's continuing to accelerate, um, right. which, which has become super, super exciting. That's awesome. And uh, so to that point, you guys have seen a lot more kind of increase in competition within the space. Um, obviously, that means you guys are up to something great. So that's always a good sign. Um, and so Nita, what, what, when we kind of talk about that now, um, how do you kind of consist that in terms of building that team out? I know you guys are expanding your sales team aggressively. So one, congrats on that. Obviously, that's a great sign. Uh, but also like Socialite. What, what is Socialite? What, where did the name come from? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, it really started like the, the, the idea for social really came around that is that you want to be social, have a few drinks with friends and family and maintain that kind of healthy, active, fit lifestyle. Um, and that really is kind of the definition of the name. It's like, we want people to be, a, it's, we want people to be able to be social and live light. It's the work hard, play hard mentality of, you know, just because you want to kick back and have a few drinks with your buddies, it doesn't mean that you want to give up uh, you know, all the effort you put in and going to the gym during the week or, you know, eating like low carb meals and salads and all that kind of through the week, you want to be able to still enjoy your life. Um, but have, you know, a, an option where you can be social and maintain that light lifestyle. And that's really where the name came from. Uh, and it was a, it's a fun play on words, of course, but it really is about that kind of be social, live light mentality. Yeah. So if I, if I were to go to a picnic today or and go out with my friends, literally 90% of our drinks are like these seltzers with that are on Sweden. I think, uh, what would you describe Nitu as like kind of like the typical target market? Are we like mainly seeing disc- um, millennials and say Gen Z, 19 plus, of course? Um, and are those kind of your main targets? Or are we also seeing like individuals of like older generations uh, buying into these products? Yeah, I think it's definitely in the last, I mean, we've been around for five years, right? Mm-hmm. I think in the last year or two, it's become hugely popular with millennials, Gen Z. Um, you know, I think people in that age group are a lot healthier, a lot younger than when I was that age. And so, you know, people are much more aware and conscious of what they're putting into their bodies and looking for that, that better for you option. So for sure, that's a huge part of it. But we always say it really isn't, um, you know, uh, it really isn't a demographic thing or a gender thing. It's really a lifestyle thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're whether if you're a 45 year old mom, uh, who, you know, is taking care of your kids and, you know, working and doing all that stuff. But on the weekend, you want to kick back with a drink, but you're also the mom going to yoga class and trying to stay fit and, you know, all that kind of stuff. This, you know, we have a lot of women um, who are huge fans of socialite and same with, you know, dudes who, you know, maybe older or younger, it doesn't really matter, but you don't want to pump yourself full of beer because of all the carbs and all the calories Mm. and beer. So people, like you just said, like you and your buddies, like picking it up for the picnic, you're going to pick this up because it's no carbs uh, no sugar, 80 calories, nothing artificial, doesn't make you feel bloated, you know, and socialite gives people all of those benefits. So it's really, I think people, anybody who's kind of after that healthy lifestyle and conscious of what they're putting in their body. Yeah. That was a great I, marketing pitch. I, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. But no, I totally agree with you. Like 
I, I don't, I rarely ever drink beer anymore just because of the feeling. Maybe it's because I'm aging the wrong way. But, uh, <laughs> I think that might come with age, but you know, bloating is definitely not a good feeling. So, I mean, shifting over to that low calorie, um, low carb solution is definitely something. And I've always enjoyed your guys' drinks. So, awesome product. So, um, let's kind of shift over and segue uh, with Sherriston and talking about kind of actually the process of shelving, creating a new beverage. So, obviously, directed towards Dan, but um, Sherston, take the lead on it. Yeah, for sure. And, and and to that point, like Dan, you started off mentioning kind of how you guys experimented with the product itself, just making drinks for your family. Um, so that's what we want to understand. Obviously, as consumers, it's so easy to be overwhelmed with the market because there's options everywhere. And we don't understand the process and how difficult it is to create and launch uh, and get a new product to the shelf. So can you talk to us about um, just just can you walk us through that life cycle of creating a new drink and kind of the ups and downs that came with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the, the entrepreneurial journey, right? I mean, we, right. to, the, to what I was talking about before, I think one thing we do really well is, is we listen and we, we have a lot of conversations and we, we listen to what um, kind of the right way to do things. And we, we talk to people in the industry, but then we also talk to consumers and we understand what consumers are looking for. And so when we started, um, I mean, we, we were, we were a little green and so we, right. You go through the process of developing in the kitchen, um, but then taking it from from the kitchen to actually taking it to to commercial um, use, it, it's a whole new step. So, I mean, one of the things we did at the very beginning that I think helped us a lot was, um, and it, it, it was build a business case. And so, when we first came up with the concept, we actually sat down and built out a document about. Um, What's this company going to be about? Like all the aspects from from marketing to production to, to finances. Right. And as painful as that process was, what it then gave us was this, this very structured document um, that talked about all the elements of the business. So if we were going into a meeting with a banker, uh, we could pull out a section and we, we could speak knowledge, like knowledgeably about it. If we were talking about marketing or, or meeting with whatever it may be, someone who's going to help us with marketing or someone with production. At right. least we had those, those items laid out. And, and obviously the, the document would change as we, we go. Um, I mean, the other thing with, with being an entrepreneur, it's, it's the idea of being able to uh, have setbacks and, and get over them. Like when we, when we first launched, we, well, we went through the whole development, took us about a year and then we, we co-pack. So in the industry, most actually almost everyone co-packs, which means you, you use a third party to produce for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, we were supposed to launch in spring of 2014. And so our, I mean, we're, we're gearing up to it. We're getting all the ingredients ready. And our co-packer called us and was like, yeah, guys, listen, a little bit of a problem. There's, there's kind of this big guy called Loblaws that, that has a big order going in. Oh. Um, and they're going to be running for months. So now you're going to be launching in September. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, that's the worst. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Um, and I think what's really nice about our team, there's there's three of us that started the company. And so whenever someone's having a tough day or, or things aren't going well, there's always someone who's like, okay, no, forget it. Like, pick yourself up. We're going to sort this out. Like, it, it, it's going to, we're going to get through it. And, and I think for us, that was, that was one of the big things was just working really well as a team. And when things got difficult or when there was challenges, it was like, well, let's not, let's not get upset about it. Like, how do we resolve this? And how do we, how do we overcome that? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of tied down from, from building that business case to having all those conversations um, to figure out all the logistics, the operations, the marketing, um, it all tied in together and it, and it came back to us then launching in, in 2014 in September. Um, but every year we go back and we build out that business case for, for the next year so that we, I mean, as, as we get better at this and we know who to call, some of the sections get, get a lot easier. But, um, but now as we're, we're expanding the U.S., we're, we're building out that business case again so that mm-hmm. we, we can kind of build out what our expectations are and, and how to get there as well. For sure. Yeah, I, I love the collaborative aspect of that and just kind of keeping each other in check because um, obviously everyone has ups and downs and it's like the, the, the team can actually bring that together. So I really like that you put the emphasis on that in terms of managing the team that way. Um, but to that point as well, I want to ask a, a like a slightly off topic question, but on the topic of beverages is when the product is something that is going like it, it's being consumed, it's, it's tough because it's applying to different tastes and things like that. Was that ever something that like 
you guys had an issue with in terms of managing the taste or managing like the 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 customer appreciation for the product like was that ever an issue during the development stage of it I think we, you know, we made it, it, our drinks are intentionally very simple, right? They're vodka sodas. And the right. whole idea behind the vodka soda and what we liked is it's what we were drinking at, uh, you know, on the weekends at bars with our buddies. And it's what everyone we knew was drinking. So we knew there was an appetite for just the vodka soda profile. And we were like, but, you know, why not have it with a kick of flavor? And we just, uh, we, we did a lot of research and we did a lot of testing with fans and stuff of like, you know, vodka soda with a kick of, you know, natural strawberry or natural lime and ginger or natural pineapple mango. Like that was kind of like, we, we did a lot of testing of just like figuring out what would be like widely appealing flavors that people would like that in a vodka soda. And so it, it just kind of was a little bit of trial and error, a little bit of listening to our fans of, of what they wanted. Um, and I think we've gotten better at it over time. Like as we've gotten bigger, we kind of see what works, what doesn't work, what people like, all that kind of stuff. For sure. Yeah. So that yeah. constant loop of, of customer feedback just to keep you in check of uh, what, they're, what they like. Um, so obviously on that point, like you, the goal is to, that you aspire for as a beverage company is to land a spot in the LCBO in that likes. Um, so can you talk to us about that process, what that looks like when you're reaching out to the LCBO to say, hey, we have a new product and we're trying to scale this and we, we have the backing for it. We have uh, the customers, the consumers who appreciate the item and like just marketing that to an LCBO. Like, can you walk us through that process and what that looks like, especially for you guys? Yeah, so, so the LCBO process is it's cyclical. So it's the, it's the same process year in, year out. Um, so basically what happens is, is in the summertime, there's a call for new products, which basically says like, by this deadline, we need all your, your products in. Right. Um, actually, I should take a step back. So usually as we, as we go through the year, um, there's a buyer for every category. Right. So we, we now have a very good relationship with, with the buyer. And, and so we'll start a conversation with the buyer earlier in the year and saying like, Hey, this is where, where we're going with innovation. Um, kind of, these are our initial thoughts. Um, and, and the great thing about the buyers at the LCDO and other boards is they know there's, they know their space and they know what consumers are looking for. Right. Um, but we always, we always have a great conversation with them about here are the trends we're seeing. This is what we're thinking about developing. Um, so that's kind of the step one. Step two is there's this official call by, by the, the boards on, um, Hey, submit your products. And so the first, the first step is a written application of here's, here's the, the new SKUs that we want to, to submit. Here's why we want to submit them. Here's whatever the, the value proposition of the drink. Um, and here's a bit of marketing and, and what we propose on doing next year. Right. Um, then in early September, uh, late August, early September, they, they reach out and say like, Hey, SKU one, two, and three, we want, we want a sample, uh, four or five are, are, or we're not interested in, um, et cetera, et cetera. So then we send in samples. Um, and then around this time, we, uh, we actually hear about what products have got accepted for, for the following year. Um, so that, that's always a super exciting time of year. Um, and then, and then what we do for the next, I mean, for, so now, now we're at September, um, we spend kind of the, the fall building out our, our marketing plans, our sales plans, uh, working with our with our team to to make sure that we're ready for a spring launch, um, and we start developing the the artwork. So the artwork takes kind of six months to develop, okay. um, and usually we're producing product January, February, March uh, for for um, for an April launch. Um, so it's 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 an ongoing process for us. So we're we're always we always have a, a huge kind of amount of, of products that we want to develop uh we're on the always kind of testing new ideas new concepts and um and, and then kind of we filter it down and it's it's funny because we we always take ideas from from all kinds of people and like mm -hmm. what what do you think we should be doing next and right our pineapple mango for example was one that um that some of our our, our fans told us about like you should do pineapple mango and it's like oh that that makes sense um and there's a story i sometimes tell that that i think is really funny i was I was doing a show a couple of years ago and this woman approached and she's like, Oh, I love your, I love your products. And I'm like, Oh, thank you very much. She's like, you know what flavor you need to do? And we're like, no, what's that? And she's like, onion and garlic. <laughs> we're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, as a martini. And she's like, no, no, no. As a vodka soda. It's like, ah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's when we're going to test out, but, yeah. uh, but we do always 
like if anyone tells us a flavor, we always usually test it out and see see what the potential is for it. Yeah, I'm gonna Maybe. go out of the limb and say yeah. like not all feedback is good feedback. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's funny with feedback, and and Nietzsche can probably talk about this more. But when we first started, we did we did every single tasting ourselves, every food and wine show, and um, the best thing about it is is it just gave us an opportunity to understand who our consumers were. And mm-hmm. not only do you get to see the people that love the product and, and like bringing on new fans, but we also got to meet the people who said like, I hate your product. And yeah. I think for us, what was important in those moments is like, okay, why do you hate it? And if, if we could get to understand why people don't like it, that allows us to then move forward with maybe not that product, but with the next product we develop, it may be, may be more in their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And neither did you want to add anything to that? In terms of the process to get in the LCBO? Yeah, or even in terms of that feedback loop that Dan was just mentioning. Yeah, I always say, you know, I worked in marketing for my, like for 10, 12 years before jumping into this entrepreneurial world. And it's funny, you sit in like big ivory tower, corporate towers, and you do all sorts of market research and you pay big companies to do all this research. And honestly, I, I, it's the biggest thing I say is like, if you're going to start a business, put on a t-shirt, stand behind a table and serve your product, you know, like right. that there's no better research you're going to get than that. If physically, you know, I always say, if you can't stand behind a table and sell one can of your product, then how are you going to sell millions? Right. Mm-hmm. You, you got to know what's resonating with consumer, what's making them want to buy it, what's getting them excited, what, and it's not just the words. It's like, you know, what's causing the physical reaction of smiles and laughter and joy and like what's making people engage with your brand. You can't learn that um, in any better way than physically getting out there and talking to people yourself. And I think it was one of the biggest learnings for me becoming an entrepreneur versus working in the corporate world is like you sit, you can sit so you can sit as long as you want in boardrooms, but it'll never be the same as interacting with like hundreds and hundreds of people. And, uh, who can really kind of give you that real time reaction of, of what they think about your product and your brand and, and what they're drinking. Sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree that. And uh, to your point, you guys are like literally like hustlers coming out of the street, like true (laughs) entrepreneurs, you know, that story of just like getting, getting dirty. You have to kind of get dirty with your business in terms of getting out there and uh, truly appreciate the hustle. So uh, Nito, this one's more directed towards you. I, I remember uh, me and Dan chatted about this uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with regards to the beverage in, the alcohol beverage industry in general and the demographics pro- predominantly male dominated. Um, so what does it feel like being a female founder one um, and also being a minority within the alcohol beverage industry? You know, I always find these questions a little bit uncomfortable and I don't know why I got to get comfortable with it I, it's 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 the it's the time I guess of the world that we're in but um yeah you know I always say I never have really navigated my career at any point thinking about the fact that I'm a woman and mm-hmm. thinking about the fact that I'm a minority I just work really hard and um I think what I, I attribute it to when I think about it is you know I was raised in a family where my mom and dad treated me and my brother equal And my mom and dad made me feel like I had to study as hard as my brother had to study. And I had to do everything my brother had to do. And my parents instilled crazy amounts of confidence in me. I remember like when I was a little kid, my dad was telling me I should be the prime minister of Canada, you know, like he, he was just that kind of dad. He was always, um, but I do feel that I'm very lucky in that way. I'm super lucky that I had that upbringing that I didn't go into the workforce thinking about the fact that, Um, You know, there are, are of course, inequalities in the workplace towards women and, uh, you know, not equal opportunity exists at every corner for everybody. And of course, that is the reality of the world. I was just blessed with the, you know, almost the, you know, the upbringing to not think about that and to navigate my career having that confidence. And I think because, you know, we're not all treated equally in the world, I actually think for me, that's the starting point. And, Mm -hmm. And that's something I've come to realize as I've, you know, grown in my career is that, you know, when you're faced with inequality and you're faced with not having the same opportunities as other people um, and you don't see necessarily role models, it does have an effect on a lot of people's confidence and not everybody is as lucky as me to have had the upbringing I had. And I think that's a starting point is that, you know, and that's why you hear a lot about women supporting women. I think it's really important, um, you know, as a female leader, 
that, you know, we're in, like, I'm, I'm a role model and also seeking out role models for myself of like building that confidence where people like women have the confidence to go after what they want in business, what they want in their careers. Um, and I think that's like half the battle. Um, you know, that there's a lot of stats out there of women don't ask for the raise as much as, you know, men mm -hmm. ask for the raise. And I think supporting women, supporting people who don't necessarily have those equal opportunities is, is half the battle. Um, you know, I don't feel any different. Have I encountered in the last five years as an entrepreneur, as a woman, as a minority where, you know, Dan knows I'm very open with Dan and Kevin. There are certain people or certain circumstances where, you know, people, me and Dan could be in the same room and Dan could say the same thing as me. And someone, you know, someone will say, you know, it's a really interesting point, Dan. And then they'll look at me and be like, why are you being so aggressive? And, it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I just said the same thing that Dan said, yeah. um, you know, and women are just perceived differently. And so you do deal with that stuff. But for me, it's like, I got to focus on, I can't focus on how other people react. I can focus on, what I bring to the table and what I bring to the world. And as long as I feel like I'm doing the right things, um, you know, I, I just have to kind of go with that. And, you know, I'm super lucky that uh, I have Dan and Kevin as business partners. I feel like the three of us being business partners happened super organically. We met through my brother. Okay. Um, so it was, you know, a personal connection and we all just really got along you know, off the bat. And, you know, there's a lot of respect between the three of us in terms of what we all bring to the table. And I think we always talk about the fact that we're the three of us are so different. And the fact that we're like, you know, a pretty diverse leadership team happens super organically. It's just kind of who we are. But we do recognize the fact that we're so different makes us so much stronger as a team. Um, and then it's something, you know, you asked me about the team early on, it's something we're like, okay, if that's kind of what's made us strong, you know, and that's, that different perspective and that different way of thinking about things has made us strong. We want to make sure we stay true to that as we grow yeah. our team and, and, you know, have that diverse workforce and the diversity in our team that brings those different voices and different points of view to the table. So we want to continue to do that. And to be honest in an industry where that isn't perhaps as prevalent as other industries, I think it's something that, you know, we want to make sure we do to set an example. Um, Cause it's, it's pretty, it's been pretty organic for us. And now we want to just make sure we continue it. If that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And it's like spoken like a true champion there. Like yeah. really, really respect your kind of uh, thought process around that. And, you know, everyone uh, faces adversities, but you're kind of taking them head on and kind of tackling them that way. So uh, I know you mentioned uh, your family being obviously inspirational for you to become like, you know, entrepreneurial and whatnot, but are there any individuals within the space per se? I know, uh, at least in Canada, uh, one example that I can always think about is Manjeet Manhas. Um, she always comes to mind within the industry as a female um, leader in the alcohol space. But uh, are there anyone uh, else that has probably inspired you to maybe take the leap of faith within this industry? Other than Dan and Kevin, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, I, Dan I met for a coffee and within, within five minutes of meeting him, he was like, do you want to quit your job and do this with us? And I was like, who are you? What's your last yeah. name? I don't know. Uh, so Dan was definitely part of the inspiration. He was hustling from day one when I met him. Um, but yeah, I, you know what, Manji Menhas for sure. I don't know her personally, but I, I, you know, I definitely watch what she's doing. And I think what they've done with, um, you know, with their uh, company is amazing. I think they're like top 10 brewers in North America. That's absolutely incredible. So, you know, hats off to her and her family. I think it's really, really inspiring uh, what they've been able to achieve. Um, I don't know if it's industry specific. I mean, for me personally, um, there's like lots of, you know, female role models, to be honest, that I'm super inspired by. I, I always like, I f find I'm like, um, uh, you know, even like locally, like uh, I was lucky enough to be on uh, this women's uh, empowerment uh, panel as a get, like as a, um, as someone who was learning uh, from, you know, there was a group of women and it was like Michelle Romano and okay. Joanna Griffiths from Nick's uh, which is a really successful um, Canadian company. And I find like these local women who are just killing it. Um, I think that all of those women are super inspiring to me. Sweet. No, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've actually, I've actually met Michelle before and she's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Real, real cool individual. And obviously, you know, uh, Dragon's Den. So uh, <laughs> it's always cool to meet individuals like that and be inspired from them. Um, so let's kind of segue into like actual kind of, 
uh, inspiration where maybe you can provide some advice for women who are entering, say, entrepreneurship or want to kind of pursue their passions? What, what do you kind of think uh, some of the steps they should take to kind of pursue those? Um, granted, there obviously are some of the challenges that they face in the industry or even outside the industry. Yeah, I think um, it obviously depends what you're doing. I think my overall advice, uh, what I always say for entrepreneurship is, I, I, I personally think entrepreneurship is way too glorified and mm -hmm. it's made out to be this like, oh my God, these people are so brave and so creative. It's not that. I, I don't think that. I, I don't think I'm brave. I don't think I'm courageous. I don't think, I, you know, Dan, maybe you are. Sorry, I don't mean to say that to you, but I was like, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't say that. Um, I wouldn't say that about myself. I really just think at the end of the day, it comes, and I always say I hate the term leap of faith, right? I actually hate that term because it makes it sound like you're going to jump off a cliff and kill yourself. It's like, who would want to do that? Who wants to like jump yeah. off a cliff? You know, it makes it sound so scary. I really think entrepreneurship is un not unlike anything else in your life where it's about putting one foot in front of the other, taking, doing one bit of work at a time. And I think it's just about the hard work. If you wake up in the morning and say, okay, I have this goal. I want to do this thing. What's something I can do today to move that agenda forward? What's one piece of work I can do to move that forward? Um, and eventually, if you take enough steps where you've moved it, uh, you, you've inched towards your goal a little bit every day, eventually, when it comes time to really, you know, start that business, it's not going to feel like a leap of faith. It's just the next step forward, right? Yeah. I just think you have to like, work on it, you know, get, get, like Dan said, it's a lot about networking, put your idea out there, talk to people, get feedback, put that business plan together, you know, figure out how you're going to get capital, figure out how you're going to, you know, make the, make the product as a product or get your service. Like, wait, it's, it's all just the work you got to do. There's no substitute for the hard work. And I think if you just keep doing that, um, I really believe, you know, anyone can do it if you've got the right support system around you and you're willing to do the right, the, the hard work. And I think right. with entrepreneurs, yeah. they often get a bad rep for just being like gun gunslingers or gunslingers <laughs> who are just like, yeah, let's just go do this. And like, we need this, we need that. But the reality is, um, at least with us, with with two engineers and, and Nietzsche's marketing background, um, we've always been very strategic about it and, and everything is calculated. So yeah, you have to do all the hard work and all the hustle, but you have to have a good idea to begin with and you have to have good concepts before, before you can even move forward or else or else your time is almost wasted. Yeah. And, and I think as we talk to young entrepreneurs, a lot of times when they tell us their idea, oftentimes they're really good. It's like, okay, you have a really good idea, just organize it and go. And then sometimes we have the hard conversation with, with young entrepreneurs to say like, this idea, it, 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 you may like this idea, but when you look at it at a macro scale, it would be very hard to scale. And it, it's hard to make a business out of this idea. So maybe you should think about something else. And, and I think you have to, you have to have that ability to have those tough conversations with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But don't trust one person's opinion because there's so For many sure. naysayers out yeah, there. Yeah. There's so many naysayers. So you got to get a lot of feedback because somebody might tell you your idea is bad and then maybe 10 other people are going to tell you your idea is good. Right. So mm -hmm. it's definitely important to get out. You got it. You got to talk about it. You can't be afraid to talk about your idea because you really do got to bounce it off people and get feedback for sure. Yeah. And so did you guys experience that too? Like uh, some adversity uh, initially onset saying, no guys, this is a stupid idea. Oh, absolutely. We got rejected by every liquor board. We talked <laughs> to people in the industry who were like, no one's going to drink a drink without sugar. Like it's, it, and, and then not only that, like we, just like every business, you have ups and downs. And, and we had days where some of the samples we submitted lost all their carbonation. And so after the fact we get rejected and, and we go and try the extra samples and they're flying it's like what like <laughs> yeah. obviously, obviously we didn't get a fair fair shot at it um but i think that's that's part of the entrepreneur journey and this mm -hmm. there, there aren't many entrepreneurs who tell you the story of like yeah i started this business and suddenly i was selling millions and millions of of widgets <laughs> and everything was yeah. perfect and i never had any issues and like um and going back to our team the nice thing about us is that we'll argue sometimes about direction we want to go, but we always go in to these arguments knowing that we're going to make the best decision for the team. For sure. And any, and any argument we have is not personal. It's, it's never an attack of, of kind of, I hate you or you're doing something wrong. The, the, the argument is always like this, this is my point. Here's the, the data to back it up. And here's why we should do this. And, yeah. and we always, I mean, with three of us, the nice thing is like, 
two beats one. So yeah, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, like once once two people agree on something, and, and it's just like all right, problem like decision made. Let's move on and let's stop yeah. wasting time. It's that old sure. saying. It's uh, it's business, not personal. So. Um, I think that applies to a lot of cases and even, even in our podcast, we, we always talk about strategic decisions and obviously me and Sherston always uh, the back and forth is like, there's always business, not personal. So, you know, mm-hmm. have, have that kind of open context and transparency of what you actually think. Mm-hmm. 100%, when you start yeah. a business together, you, you're going to get, you're going to get very personal with the people you start a business with and like, um, Nito and Kevin and I have had very difficult conversations and, and um, especially as you go to get financing, you mm-hmm. kind of have to know about the other person's financial yeah, situation for sure. and, right. and their spouse or their partner. And those can be uncomfortable conversations sometimes, but those are conversations you have to have and you have to have it out, out in the open about, um, about what you want out of it. Yeah. Um, for so. sure. Yeah. I, I think um, you guys have a really holistic approach of how you approach the team and how you kind of, um, approach each other within the team. So I think that's amazing for internal debate as well and for growth as a company. Uh, mm-hmm. But pivoting into kind of the external side of that, we want to kind of start talking about the competition in the industry. Uh, so Dan, I know like the hard seltzer industry has been growing pretty substantially mm-hmm. over the last few years. So can you talk to us a little bit about the how you handle that competition in terms of how you approach it, some of the factors that you consider uh, when you're evaluating different competitors in that space? Absolutely. I mean, when we started, we, we were the only ones in the space. And right. We kind of had a two-year period where there was no one. But what's great is that the fact that we have, uh, that we have competition is, is an affirmation that we are in a space that's growing and that's, that, that is exciting. And so um, one thing we do is, is we welcome the competition. And we, we know that um, as, as we get competitors in there, it, it just means that this space has, has gained validity and um, and it's a space that, that people want to be in. And especially with, with our space, um, when we first started, there was a lot of education that we, we needed to do. So when we, when we did a trade show where we, we, we pitched our product, um, a lot of times we had to start with the idea of like, hey, what exists right now is not good. There's so much sugar. We're, we've developed this drink without, without sugar. And then usually people would be like, well, I don't like sugar. And there's like, well, there's no sugar in here. And then people, people would be like, well, I don't drink I don't drink coolers. It's like, well, it's not a cooler. Like, just try mm-hmm. it, just try it. And, and what's been really nice is as we have these competitors come in, they help us tell that story. And they, they help bring consumers from either the coolers or the beer side. Um, and, and they come in. And um, as we go through this journey, I mean, we, we keep tabs on what our, what our competitors are doing, but more so from an interest side, like, oh, competitor A is, is looking at this type of drinks. Like, well, that's interesting. But the reality for us is, is we only focus on ourselves. Like right. we, we are our own comp- competition and, and anything that we develop, uh, we want it to be better than, than what we produced before. Um, and what's really nice about this category that, that we've kind of spearheaded is, is vodka soda, hard seltzer, whatever you want to call it, is the fastest growing segment in alcohol these days. Yeah. And, and, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. And the reality is, um, people like yourself I'm on that, are moving away from beer and beer is, is the category that's taking the biggest hit um, since this, since the, the vodka soda category has, uh, has launched. And, um, and, and what we're finding is the, the vodka soda category just gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, and there's a, there's a stat that I heard that um, like a third of the population don't like beer. And so immediately you you have this one third that that is um is is perfect for the vodka soda category but then you also have the other two thirds that of people that are that are trying to make better decisions and that's mm. that's what we allow people to do with our products is we we always start up with our with our uh, customers and think about like what do customers want like if someone's sitting in my kitchen what would they want to drink and so we design drinks around that um and and then that's really where our concern is with with kind of meeting the needs of, of those consumers instead of worrying about what our competitors are doing. Yeah, for sure. I like that a lot. And, and to your point on that stat, uh, we actually looked up an article recently. It was, came out this year. It was a CBS article that mentioned uh, wine and beer consumption in the States has had its first decrease in almost 25 years. Um, so that's, that's a testament to kind of where that industry is moving and kind of like the consumer taste and where that's shifting. 
Mm. Um, and I know, Nitu, you mentioned earlier that like you don't specifically have a demographic, so to speak, um, that you target. It's uh, we're just providing a market to fill uh, a gap in that industry. So with that being said, and like with all these stats that we understand uh, with consumer uh, trends changing, what do you foresee in the future of hard sales layers or um, yeah, for this drink itself? Yeah, I mean, we have like our target market is really psychographic. It's just about a lifestyle, right? And I think the reality across all food and beverage, like Dan was saying, like people are looking for more natural, you know, simpler ingredient lists, less sugar, less carbs. Um, in everything we eat and drink, we're just as a society trying to be healthier. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of predictions out there that hard seltzer will, you know, can like triple by 2023, will continue to be the fastest growing segment in beverage alcohol for the next five years. Um, so I really think that this trend, you know, there was a lot of questions three or four years ago, is this a fad or is this a trend? And I think a lot of the pundits or whatever out there have concluded, okay, this is a trend, you know, this is where people are going. It's a better for you option when it comes to consuming alcohol. So we really just see continued growth in better for you drinking. And so our portfolio will continue to expand. Our vision is to be the leading better for you brand. And so we're, we're going to continue to bring out products that have, you know, no sugar, no carbs, lower calories, but great tasting and capitalize on really what consumers are looking for in this growth in this like enormous segment. And that's growth within Canada and growth, you know, beyond our borders. But we really want to continue to be true to where we started, which is um, in the better for you drinking space and just continue to kind of innovate and grow within that as we don't see you know, like Dan said, more competitors coming in means the pie is getting bigger and we just want to keep growing as, you know, that pie grows essentially. For sure. And we love that that pie keeps growing because that gives us more flavors to try in the future. <laughs> yeah. So we're not exactly. complaining. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so need to uh, kind of uh, taking on to that point. Uh, we know like in this industry specifically, marketing plays a huge role in terms of the growth of a product. I always kind of go back to those. Uh, I mean, maybe not the same thing, but you know how Diddy uh, sponsored, uh, what was it? Was it Ciroc? I think yeah, it was yeah. Ciroc. Yeah, uh, kind of that context <laughs> and how it's just like marketing. It's really what kind of sold it. Um, or I think Jay-Z has like Ace of Spades, one of those drinks, I'm not sure. But um, it's kind of that context. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not really a consumer of that expensive champagne, but, you know, I know Jay-Z sponsors it. But um, so kind of walk us through like the different dynamics at play when you're kind of designing a launch strategy for a new drink. I know Instagram's a huge probably channel for you guys because uh, there's a lot of eyes and I think you're up to like 35K followers, which is quite significant. So uh, can you kind of just like describe what your kind of thought process is when you're launching a new drink? Well, we first we had the same conversation. I mean, I told Dan about Diddy and Jay Z. I, I tried oh, to get no him. To, I tried to get him to be a rapper. <laughs> a single, and it didn't go anywhere. No, oh I'm man! Just I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> Dan, we need that fire mixtape soon. Yeah, yeah, we're there trying. We're, we're trying to bring Drake in as well. Oh, yeah. sweet! I, I'm joking. Um, no, of course, of I'm, course, I'm celebrity. Yeah, you know, that, that's the benefit of celebrity is always a shortcut to mass awareness, right? But uh, sure. it's, 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 of course, a very, very expensive proposition and not not in reach for, for everybody. And so, honestly, I think people, um, I think people don't, like, realize how practical real marketing is, you know, it's not always as sexy as, you know, uh, Jay-Z and Diddy, just because that's not in reach. But fundamentally, if you're launching a product, you know, I always say our marketing approach uh, you know, after you figure out who your brand is and what you stand for and all that kind of stuff, you obviously have to figure out your communication and your messaging. But in terms of like, you're asking me about Instagram and where we market, fundamentally, it all starts in the store. So okay. I always say we have an approach to marketing that's in start starting within store and then moving out because at the end, 90% of decisions are made at the moment of truth, right? You get to the shelf in the liquor store, you're looking at everything on the shelf, you're going to make a call at that point. So, you know, whether it's getting into the right place on the store, in the store, getting the right signage in the store, working with the LCBO to be promoted in the store, that it really is important you stand out in the in-store environment. And that's not that sexy, but that's the truth. And then the second piece of it, uh, when you're a startup, is that if you've got a really great product and you really believe in your product, the number two thing you got to do is you got to be standard in store, but you got to get people to taste it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really built this business and you said, you know, and you, you talked about we're expanding our team and the number one quality we're looking for is hustlers. 
And honestly, we, we spent the first couple of years, 100 days of summer, Dan Kevin and I worked like honestly, 100 days of summer, it felt like we were working every night and every weekend, just getting out there to gyms, to festivals, to beer festivals, uh, to, you know, uh, races, whatever it was, just in-store tastings, just getting people to try the product and be like, we, we'd get that reaction every time of people couldn't believe how good it tasted, even though there was no sugar in it. And fundamentally, you have to drive enough trial in your product to create that word of mouth of people talking about, oh, I found this new drink and you got to try it, right? And that's what you want to do. And you want to get that in a few different communities. So we'd go after, you know, the gluten-free community, the keto community, you know, um, just generally fitness and the gym community, like the gym rack community. And we try to find all of these communities where this product would be super, super relevant to their lifestyle and create momentum and buzz in these communities just by getting them to try it. Yeah. Um, so I think fundamentally, there's no shortcut for that. You really do have to get the product in people's hands and find effective and efficient ways to do that. And then once you've done that, you're in a good spot in the store. You know, you, you've gotten thousands of people to try your product. Of course, you still have to do the awareness play and that sexy part of marketing of like, how are you going to get people talking about your brand? And that's where social media and Instagram and all the advertising comes into play. Um, yeah. And that's so, but, but I do think it's important to get the fundamentals right. And then you kind of work up to, to all of that other stuff. And, and Instagram's huge, especially nowadays, right? Like mm. as with alcohol, like you said, with Diddy, it's really, it's not even about big celebrities anymore. It's about what are your friends drinking? What are your yeah. friends posting about what's popular on campus nowadays? You know, what's popular at the clubs nowadays? Like that's what people want to know. And so, and how do we discover that nowadays? We, we, we find it on TikTok, we find it on Instagram, right? And so that for sure becomes part of like creating that, um, creating that buzz around like, what are people drinking nowadays? And we want to be part of that conversation for sure. No, that's, that's ultimately like a sweet kind of like, you know, way to, to describe it. Like, I'm going to be honest, when I walk through, like, say an LCBO, I see some of your black cans and my instantly my eyes kind of go towards that. So good play on obviously the design and marketing there. Um, Cause right. all the other ones look like, you know, your regular aluminum cans with the little branding on it. Um, so it's not as appealing. So whenever I'm looking, whenever I'm looking at these things and it's just like, okay, Oh, that caught my eye. So I, I just, at least even taking a look, you might be interested in buying the product. So I think you're totally on, uh, on point there when you're kind of describing that it starts uh, at the point of sale. Um, For sure. Right. And so, uh, kind of segmenting or uh, segueing into like actual trends within the product. Um, what kind of like recent trends have you kind of noticed in like, say maybe flavors or uh, say marketing and stuff like that, that you've kind of started to incorporate uh, with socialites growth. I know one of them obviously might be the introduction of a gin and soda, uh, but what kind of other things are happening and you guys are starting to incorporate and expanding into that. Uh, well, I think one of the things actually that you touched on earlier on is that this has kind of become uh, super popular um, among the Gen Z millennial population. And yeah. that's, to be honest, we've been in business for five, six years. It's, that's really come to light in the last like two years. So one of the things we just started now, you know, across Canada, um, we have a campus ambassador program. So we're okay. like doing marketing across campuses on campus uh, in a COVID friendly, socially distant, responsible way. Um, <laughs> but we have kind of campus programs across the country. And I think that's part of like, you know, the trend of this becoming, you know, a really popular drink among that campus demographic and us wanting to make sure we're present in those, um, in those areas is something we've started in the last couple of years. When it comes to products, like we're constantly, uh, monitoring flavor trends and what's popular. I'll, I'll give you one fun anecdote just because it's kind of random. Like we launched our pineapple mango flavor three years ago, I want to say, but there's been this like crazy resurgence and in interest in tropical flavors. And so even right. though it's not our newest flavors, like three years later, kind of randomly, we saw this huge resurgence and growth on that flavor in Western Canada and in Ontario, which is, and it's, you know, one of my favorite flavors that we have. So it's going to be kind of fun to see, but flavors kind of go through ebbs and flows of like what's popular. Um, so that's, you know, and we just try to kind of keep a pulse on that as we come up with new flavors too, for sure. Right. And uh, then is there anything you like to add, maybe from a business context? Um, one of the things actually I wanted to ask you guys is like, um, with anything, when it comes to manufacturing, are you guys diversifying your co-packers or... Um, just cause you know, are we, uh, I always, I've talked to individuals who've 
made CPG products or other food products, and they have multiple manufacturers just to avoid the risk of, you know, a production failure and onset. Is it some, somewhat similar uh, in your case? Yeah, I mean, when we first started in, the, I think, the second year, we just didn't have the ability to react to the demand of the consumers. And so I think it was July of 2016 or 2017, where um, we went out of stock for a month. And, and for us, it was like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever. Um, but it, it, I think it taught us a good lesson in, in being prepared ahead of time. And, and yeah, for, for every aspect of our business we do, we, we try and have a backup or at least two backups so that um, if there's an issue, then, then we can deal with it and then we have a, an, another avenue that we can go down. I mean, one of the things that has been challenging for this industry, and it has been just the, the lack of can availability. And mm-hmm. aluminum can, there's been an aluminum can, can shortage. Um, so what that means is, is you could get to the height of the summer and, and like, sorry, no more cans left. Oh, uh, and that's a difficult conversation to then have with your, your customers. So we always work kind of, kind of six months a year ahead of time to, to make sure that we've, we've procured all the ingredients, we've procured all the, um, the, 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 the cans, the, the cardboard, um, because you don't want to get to that, that point where kind of need to use marketing machine has started and it's chugging along um, and people, people like in our products and, and it's, it's moving and then you just can't get it produced. So um, from a business perspective, those are all the aspects that, that as a team, we, we take really seriously and, and we work together to make sure that, um, that we're ready for the season and, and kind of, yeah, we're, we're more than ready for the season. Right. For sure. So, I mean, I think I cut you off. You no, 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 you're okay. good. You're good. So I kind of want to understand um, a little bit more outside of the company itself, your stories. Um, and so Dan and Nitu, I know Nitu, you mentioned earlier um, that your first conversation, Dan was asking you to quit your job. So <laughs> let's go back to that. Um, and I want to ask both of you guys on, on your personal stories um, in, in terms of why you started that entrepreneurial journey. Like what brought you towards that um, instead of the traditional kind of corporate environment? Was that something that was always on your mind or was it something that was fresh? Like what, what was it for each of, each of you guys? Nietzsche, you want to go first? You want to go first? Yeah, go for sure. it. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to start my own company or I wanted to be something, something that I could build. And I, I always loved the idea of that. And when I did my MBA, um, basically as, as, as I went through the process, everyone you talked to and every professor was like, listen, there's two career choices management consulting or investment banking. Like that's all that exists. And uh, I, I made the ball. I didn't make a mistake. I, I did go down the management consulting path and I, and I did that for a couple of years. And I mean, it was great. I learned a lot of things. I, I, I helped build businesses and I, I helped understand the strategic side, but I was, I was always miserable with, with kind of mm-hmm. the, the overall of it. And um, both of those careers are made out to be these, like, it's the best thing you could ever get into. But the reality is when, when you get into them, it's, it's a grind and, and you're always at the beck and call of someone else. You're always on the road. Uh, if a senior partner tells you you're going to wherever Nebraska for the next six months, then, then that's what you're doing. You're, you're there Monday to Friday. Um, if you come home, it's, it's to wash your clothes and then you're, you're back on a plane on Monday morning and you're staying in, it, it may be a nice hotel, but pretty much every hotel room is the same after a while. Right. And so when we, when we started talking about socialite, for me, it just became super exciting. And when, when we first started, I mean, we, we all took huge pay cuts. Um, but for me, I've, I've never been happier. Um, and, and I could just see that every decision that we made had, had, had an impact and, and we know we, we almost controlled our own destiny. And so that, that for me has been the most exciting te- thing and like finding the right team, finding the right, right business partners um, has been an amazing experience. And, and for me, it has been the right decision. And, and I know that it's, it's, it's not the right decision for everyone. You have to, you have to have a certain personality. You have to be okay with, with kind of taking risks and you have to be okay with, with making decisions that, that could impact your future life. Um, but Nitu, Nitu talked about it before, like all three of us are really lucky that we, we have a good support network around us. Like we work really well as a team, but each of us have amazing partners that support our journey, believe in what we're doing. We have friends and family that, that encourage us. Um, I think 
one of the points where I realized like we were onto something is when I walked into a friend's house and opened up their fridge and saw a socialite in it. Oh, it's wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, thank you. I like, we, we really appreciate that. And so, so for us, I mean, for me personally, I just have, have, uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And, um, as we got into it, it's like, yeah, no, I, I love this and I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So it's, that's been my, my experience. I love that. D2, do you want to give your story here? Yeah, for sure. Mine's uh, maybe less clear, less straightforward. <laughs> I, 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 could, I, I don't think I could say I always knew I wanted to be uh, an entrepreneur. I, I kind of graduated uh, you know, from school and then went into the, the corporate world in terms of marketing. And I, I spent you know, 10, 12 years doing that. I, I spent almost 10 years at PepsiCo. I was doing mostly brand marketing and some sales strategy and stuff like that. And honestly, I loved my job. I loved my career. Um, I loved working at PepsiCo. I loved the people. They really supported me through my career. But I'd been there for almost 10 years and I had actually put like a I'd actually put like a big thing in my calendar at work on my 10 year anniversary saying you're not allowed to work here anymore oh, on this wow. date. I was like, you gotta you I I knew I loved it, but I knew I didn't want to be a lifer, you know? I didn't want to work there my whole life and the world is a big place and there's so much to experience and I didn't want to get caught doing one thing my whole life. And so I was actually at around the nine, nine year and some odd months mark when I just was like, okay, I got to figure out, I got to figure out what I want to do next. And I just started saying yes to a whole bunch of opportunities. So when I met Dan, I was volunteering for a few different charities. I was doing a night class at Ryerson where I was uh, studying journalism. I was doing a print journalism class at Ryerson. Um, I had met a few different people for coffee and I was just trying to figure out, you know, I had reached a point in my career at PepsiCo and it's kind of like this in corporate world in Canada. It's like you reach a certain point on the corporate ladder. There's not a lot of jobs above that. Right. It's like, yeah. what are you going to, what are you going to do? And like, they had offered me to move to the U S but I didn't want to move to the U S. And so it was kind of like, okay, well I got to figure this out for myself. And I was doing all those different things when my brother said, Hey, Rob's friend, Dan, like they have this idea for this drink thing. And they find out all you do is like market and sell drinks at Pepsi. Like, well, you meet this, you know, meet this, meet Dan for a coffee. And honestly, that's kind of like, it's a little bit serendipitous how that happened. And Dan told me the idea we met for coffee. Um, and I like, I'll never forget it. We met at a second cup, like in the condo that I was living in downtown. And he was just this very excited guy who had this, like, was very excited about his idea and, and him and his and Kev's idea. And he, they kind of gave me the gist of that. And he's like, okay, we want to put a vodka soda in a can. And I remember thinking, that's pretty, that's pretty basic idea. Like, <laughs> I was like, it's just like a, a vodka soda in a can. And I was like, there's no way, you know, I remember leaving that coffee thinking there's no way nobody's done that. Like all I drink is vodka sodas. All me and my girlfriends yeah. drink is vodka sodas. There's no way that no one's actually thought to put that in a convenient canned option. And then I went home from that coffee and I honestly, like for three hours was on the internet on Google, trying to find a product like the <laughs> one that Dan was describing. And it just like, I was like, oh my God, actually nothing like this exists. And I was like, I would totally buy this. My girlfriends would buy this. I go camping, I would take this camping. I, and I started having these like memories of like camping in the summer and being like, yeah, I never drink because I don't drink beer. And you're not gonna bring a wine bottle camping. I was like, this was exactly what I would take camping. And so I just immediately saw how good of an idea it was. And I really did. I do have a passion for building things and the idea of building something, not only a product and a business, but a team, you know, from the ground up really, really, really excited me. And then, yeah. And then Dan, Kevin, and I just all met. And then we started having, you know, every Tuesday night meetings and then Tuesday night oh, meetings. Just me too. Before that, you came over to my house and we, we opened up one of the six sample cans we had for you. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We they, had a, they had a prototype that they had and we tasted that. And um, yeah, and then before you knew it, like Tuesday night meetings turned into like a business and it was, um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. So for me, it was a little bit, I was in that mode, I guess, of saying yes to different opportunities and exploring what I wanted to do next in my career. And and I just happened to meet Dan at, you know, that, that point in my life. And so, yeah, it's kind of history from there. And then, then I entered into this crazy world that I didn't know I was going to get into, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. We, I, I love how organic all of this was like, even for you, just, just to be maybe a few months away from that 10 year deadline. And then Dan just shows up. Like it, it seems, it seems almost like a textbook or like a storybook tale, but like it, it worked out. Right. So I, I love that story. I, I love that a lot. Yeah. And yeah. then I guess I should also, we should also mention our, our third business partner is Kevin. 
and I ended up going to uh, to to uh, engineering school with him a long time ago. And um, when we came up with the idea, I mean, Kev Kev is is the complete opposite of Nietzsche and I. He's like a detail oriented uh, okay. guy. So um, if it wasn't for him, like like we our business would have been dead a long time ago, just because he he gets all the details right on our packaging. He knows all about production. He knows all about kind of how to run like basically the back end and he keeps us organized, mm. keeps us on schedule. Um, and so, so that's the great thing is that as a team, we work out so well because we all bring different skills to the table. Um, and, and there's, there's kind of our, our, our main focus that, that each of us has, but then we, we work really well um, covering for each other and working with each other on, on different aspects of the business. So um, Kev's been a big part of the business as well, which is, which is pretty amazing. For sure. Yeah. So the whole team just kind of compliments himself and you kind of create a, a, a cohesive unit, which is what we love to see. So, mm-hmm. so that's great. So we, that kind of wraps up like the, the, the professional side of the, the <laughs> podcast itself. And we like to end off on a lighter note um, and just kind of getting uh, your feedback uh, and just to kind of understand you guys, uh, your personality itself. And so we have a lightning round here where we're going to kind of just shoot a bunch of questions. Uh, it'll be, four or five questions and you guys have about 10 seconds to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. So I don't know how you prefer to do this. We can either go Dan first need to or need to first Dan. What do you guys prefer? Either way, either way. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask the question and then you both just give me your answers. Okay. Sure. Awesome. First question uh, to both of you guys. What is your favorite book of all time? All right, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> mine, mine is a, a book called Born to Run. It's, uh, it's about, it, it's a lot about a lot of things, but it's essentially the, the concept of humans are, are made to run really long distances uh, without shoes on. And so I uh, took up ultra running quite a few years oh, ago. Oh, no way. Yeah. And it's, and this book ties in, it also ties in the idea of as shoes evolved, people got injured more often. So it's, it's best to have less padding. Um, and then it talks about ultra marathons and then it talks about this, this tribe in, um, Mexico called the Tauramara that run long distances for fun. And so it ties it all in together and it, uh, it had a huge impact and influence on my life, which has been pretty amazing. That's so cool. Thank you. Me too. Uh, well, mine's a little less interesting, but I was just going to say, uh, uh, well, the most recent book, Educated by uh, Tara Westover, is a fascinating true story book that's kind of on a fiction or on a on a story level. I, I love the book Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. That's influenced me from a marketing perspective a lot. I think a lot Malcolm of individuals. Gladwell. Yeah, exactly. Love that guy. Yeah, he, he drops a lot of wisdom. I love that. Um, so and maybe that might be your answer to the next question. But if you had if you could have dinner with one person today, who would it be like perfect guest for you guys? It doesn't have to be work-related. It can be a personal preference. Yeah. The first thing that came to my head was Barack Obama. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was mine too. <laughs> All right. We'll take Obama for both. Well, given, given the situation currently, it's, it becomes, uh, I mean, obviously a person of great importance in, in U.S. history. Yeah. Amazing narrator. Um, just an, a completely interesting person. For sure. Definitely. So here's a question on the product line itself from Social Light. What is your personal favorite flavor uh, from your product line? Triple berry vodka soda. Okay. 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 <laughs> I feel like the all the flavors are like my kids. It really depends on the day. Uh, there's always there's always a favorite kid. There's always a favorite kid. <laughs> Again, it depends on the day. Uh, I mean, I I. I I love all the new stuff. I go back to the lime ginger as, as one of my favorites. I think we knocked that one out of the park from the beginning. Um, I love the gin. All of them I really like. Dan, I don't think you get lightning round. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> all right. Uh, one more question. Actually, a couple more questions here. So you guys had a long day. Obviously, uh, you guys are always busy and running around and then staying on your feet so how do you like to unwind after a long busy day um and don't cheat and say you have a social life (laughs) (laughs) well recently for me i got a bike this summer finally so i've been i I like going for a bike ride at the end of the day nice yeah i mean i I start my day with coffee and a run so i end my day hanging out with my family so 
Nice. All right. So lastly, this is going to go back to one of the flavors here. Uh, so Nitu mentioned uh, the pineapple mango is doing really well. <laughs> we wanted to get your take on this. This is a very controversial question on the podcast. And we want to know if that pineapple flavor translates to food. So do you guys like pineapple on your pizza? Absolutely. As a, yeah, I don't eat meat, so okay. yeah. <laughs> I'm a pescatarian, so, so uh, pineapple is amazing on pizza. Love it. I'm, I'm a mostly no, but if my sister-in-law orders it, I'll eat it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so I guess the two, Lo- yeah, I guess the two Laurier grads are kind of interesting. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> I like how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, that kind of kind of concludes our podcast here. So thank you so much, Dan and Nita, for being a part of this. We got a ton of, ton of great content here for all of our listeners. And again, uh, kudos to you guys for building such an amazing company and keep up the great work because uh, you definitely got two supporters here in terms of your product line and continuous support. Amazing. No, thank you guys for your time and amazing podcasts. I mean, you guys are soaring through the ranks, so that's that's amazing. We're uh, want to see you guys number one, number soon. Yeah, let's let's aim for that. Uh, similar to you guys, we're we're hustling every day, trying to do stuff. So, uh, looking forward to it, and we'll uh, definitely keep you guys up to date on what we're up to. Amazing, guys! Thank Thanks, you so much. guys, Thank for you having so much, us. Guys. All right, all right, guys, have a great day. You too. Take care, guys.